Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs turn their business income into passive income. I am your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. I'm going to show you how to create generational wealth by growing your business and breaking the chains of Wall Street investing. Remember, you need to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. This week, I've got Adam Jason from the Legacy Group on the podcast. The Legacy Group owns a portfolio of companies primarily based in Colombia. One of those companies is the Green Coffee Company, which will soon be the number one coffee company in Colombia. In this episode, Adam shares why it's such a great time to invest in Colombia as there's this arbitrage in the market that exists between the talent and the infrastructure. And the Legacy Group is looking to make it easy for US-based investors to gain access to these deals in Colombia that years prior would have been very difficult. As full disclosure, I am personally invested into the Green Coffee Company, which you know we talk a lot about in this episode. And I believe they have a great business plan of consolidating farms, adding technology, systems, growing through acquisitions, moving up the value chain, and one day, hopefully, going public. You know, Adam shares all this story and it's a really great episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And before we dive in, I would really appreciate it if you could take two seconds to tap the five-star review button on Apple Podcasts. And even better if you could leave me a quick review. All right, let's get started. So welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thanks, Brian, for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So to start, can you give us uh, a journey from you from, about, I don't know, 18 years old or so until kind of where you are now, and then we'll we'll get into your business and go from there. Sure. Grew up in Buffalo, New York, left there at about exactly 18 years old, went to went to college, went to law school, became, became a lawyer and worked in a, at the time that I started, what was the largest law firm in the world, working mostly on behalf of Fortune 500 companies, large Wall Street investment banks, really focused on SEC work, corporate governance, taking companies public. I did the IPO for Yeti Coolers a few years ago. So really helping companies kind of fund their own businesses, whether through the capital markets or through private transactions. Started out in Cleveland, moved down to, to Dallas a few years after that with the same law firm, really got kind of focused in the oil and gas space. Um, eventually had a month break between switching law firms. I got a new job offer down in Houston and kind of leading up to where I am now, had a month between, spent some time traveling, came down to Medellin, Colombia, where I'm now talking to you from, fell in love with it, saw a lot of opportunities in the market, both to build businesses, but also build a new lifestyle and, and really enjoy myself and kind of the next path for me. Went back to the U.S. after that vacation, and you know, went to work at the new law firm, but had an itch to do something entrepreneurial. I was really at the point in my career where you decide whether you go be partner at the law firm, do you go in house and work for a client, or do you do something different that nobody's really kind of come up with before. And mine was come back to Columbia and give it a shot and try and build some businesses and do my own thing raise some money for the businesses that we were getting off the ground at the time. Really took that leap and been down here now since January of 2018. Recently married, building great businesses, enjoying what life has to offer down here and hoping to open the, the market more and more to other U.S. folks who are looking at it from an investment standpoint or lifestyle standpoint. 
Okay. So did you have connections down in Columbia? Like, did you already have a, a business partner? Kind of how do you, you know, in, in terms of taking that leap of faith, who do you have down there to help kind of bridge the gap? When I first came down here for vacation, I didn't know anybody. I would move to Texas and I thought it might be a good idea to learn some Spanish. I heard good things about Columbia, wanted to do some traveling, coming from Buffalo, New York, small town, didn't do any traveling at all, really, other than kind of the typical Disney domestic trips yeah, that yeah. most people do when they're when they're young. So saw it as a chance for some adventure and to do something different. Eventually ended up meeting my my now business partner down here, but came down here not not knowing anybody, left seeing the opportunities and kind of working to build some relationships back from the States. I actually started working with my now business partner when I got back. He was just at the point of founding the the Green Coffee Company, which is one of our portfolio companies within Legacy Group, our, our investment firm. And he needed help raising money from US-based investors. That was obviously my background by trade. So helped both practically and, and with the legal aspect of things and saw it as an opportunity to come on board and, and made the move. Okay. What's the best part uh, about living in Colombia? I love the business stuff. I mean, it's 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 for me a chance to do something that nobody has ever really done ever before in any kind of sophisticated manner. The trends I see kind of down here in the market right now are very much what you might have seen in the Silicon Valley of the 80s, the China boom that went on several years ago. Tons of opportunity to see gaps in the market where capital can come in and make up the difference where you can apply businesses that have really worked globally to a market that hasn't had experience with those before can really kind of be in a market disruption position with not a huge amount of money and not a huge amount of time. We can get into the coffee business, but basically since 2017, from its infancy, we've taken that company from nothing to become the second largest coffee producer in in the country. Everybody knows Colombian coffee, and we've done it for about $24 million over the course of four years, changing an industry that's that ingrained in, call it a, a more advanced market, whether it's the US or Europe, would, would be a lot more challenging, a lot more capital and time intensive. So I love that. Obviously, having my wife down here and, and building a life with her is fantastic. Love kind of what all that offers and allows me to focus on the stuff that I want to do and, and have a great time while doing it. Awesome. Yeah, I want to get into the green coffee company. Before then, you mentioned you know, seeing there's some gaps in the marketplace that you've seen that you're able to kind of get this. Yeah. There's some sort of arbitrage between the knowledge and the resources you have in the U.S. and then kind of the the Colombian, um, you know, how it is now. Can you can you explain some of that? What does that look like? How how is it similar to the Silicon in the '80s uh, or or China? You know, a number of years ago. Yeah, we can take it kind of micro by industry, and I can talk about some of kind of the the macro factors and cultural factors, but. You know, coffee, for example, is a good one. Been around forever. History of the industry is very decentralized. Most farmers own less than three acres of land. Nobody's made the kind of investment in the country that you need to consolidate the industry and open it up for investment to foreign markets. It's very grow your own coffee, sell it to large exporters. Very little of the value goes all the way back to the the farmer. All of it goes to Starbucks when they sell it for $5 a cup in the US. Now, so you can kind of 
bridge that gap by introducing technology, sophistication, team building, access to foreign capital, that just things that have never really been done before. Okay. Another company in our portfolio is called Polygonus. They're focused in the video game development space, movie design. There's no monopoly, I would say, on on human capital from a global perspective. These guys that we have down here, just by having the ability to have access to social media, tell the world what they're doing, are in a position to be competing against Hollywood studios, US-based video game companies for contracts, and they can do it at a fraction of the price of what you would you would pay mm-hmm. Activision or whoever to create you know a video game for you. You also see gaps in the market, whether it be in just fundamental transactions that we take for granted in the US, whether it be buying a piece of real estate, the time it takes, the hurdles that you have to go through to be able to do so effectively, or things like fintech. Huge amount of the population still underbanked in the country, very little access to cheap capital to be able to grow, to get things like rental properties, just all these gaps that have not caught up for a handful of reasons. But a lot of it is going back to the macro, people are very set in their ways, lots of kind of historic interests and people just not knowing how to do things another way. So you can introduce new ideas new ways of going about things that can really be revolutionary for industries, but also the lives of people here and how they go about, we said, these just basic transactions that we do every day. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's really the value you guys are going to bring. It sounds like is, you know, the technology and these systems and processes and, and the capital. So... Yeah, so let's get into the green coffee company. Let's, let's start at a high level. Uh, you mentioned you know the marketplace prior to this was a bunch of small mom and pop, you know, individual growers. Uh, like one on one, what's what's the business model uh, for a green coffee company? Yeah, I mean it still is mom and pop basically, but you know, company uh, the coffee industry in in Colombia previously, well, still very highly decentralized small growers selling their coffee to national cooperatives that export. We saw an opportunity back in 2017 to consolidate land from a lot of these large land-holding families. Basically, what happens is great-grandpa starts a coffee farm, grows it, is in the industry, passes it down to one generation. They stay in the industry, maybe one more. But when you start getting about four steps down on the generational trail. A lot of people don't want to be in the coffee industry. You see typically a lot of family wealth tied up in the the coffee business and the land that people have. So if they can't sell it, there's no real good opportunity to borrow against it. For example, if they can't liquidate that position, the people that don't want to be coffee farmers really don't get to experience the kind of wealth that the family has built up over the years. So a lot of people want to go live in Miami. They want to go study in the U.S. They want to go live in Europe. When those opportunities present themselves, we're able to buy at a discount because of the access to capital that we have. We just did another acquisition back in December that brought in about another 2,500 acres to the operation. Because we could pay in cash, we could leverage that kind of need for a sale from, from the seller in that transaction. But the idea is consolidate land consolidate infrastructure, build really the most technologically advanced processing facility in the country, which we've done perhaps globally, so that we can have 
high quality, consistent coffee that's appeal appealable to our end market, which which right now is B2B. So we're selling container loads of coffee versus the branded product that you'd see in a store, selling it in, in green bean form. And we'll continue to go further down the value chain as, as we grow the business. But really now it's get as much kind of sophisticated land and, and, and well-done infrastructure that we can on a consolidated basis, which allows us to control the regions that we're in and also be a, a source of offload for the other farmers in the region that allows us to boost our own production. So we have a lot of small farmers that sell to us now instead mm-hmm. of the national co-ops and really building the infrastructure to be able to process that amount of coffee. You know, in the next couple of years here, we'll be doing at a minimum about 10 million pounds a year of, of, of coffee. Um, so you need the, the, the team and the infrastructure and the investment to be able to do that, of course. Okay. What are, actually, before I ask this question, how many acres do you have now? 4,700. Okay. And what did you start with? Like, what was the first acquisition? First acquisition we did was about 610 acres. Okay. So, so over the last number of years, it's these chunks of chunks of growth. That's right. We've done three acquisitions to date. Okay. Each awesome. one consecutively kind of larger than the, the next. The thesis behind the business from an investment standpoint is really opening up the market to U.S. investors. Right now, we have, I think, about 220 investors in the business, like I said, about $24 million of investment, mostly focused on high net worth accredited investors who want access to this space, but could not otherwise get it. You know, Our kind of market competition is Brazil. Vietnam, Colombia being the third largest behind those two in terms of overall coffee production globally, no opportunity to participate in those markets. U.S.-based agriculture investments are very hard for kind of high net worth folks to come across. You know, it's mostly dominated by the Blackstones and large institutions out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So to do something a little different for folks, we've seen a lot of appeal. Okay. And what makes coffee a good investment just in general? Yeah, I think it's not going anywhere, which is important. You know, even even kind of annually now, you still can continue to see increase in the amount of coffee consumed. It's about 2.5 billion cups globally. There's some markets that are not even tapped into yet, really. If you're looking at some of the Asian countries, China in particular, it's it's a strong investment from you know an inflation perspective, which a lot of people are concerned about yeah, right now. Yep. You're con- continuing to see rising commodity prices, which obviously boosts the value of the underlying land around it. We've seen record coffee prices this year, highest since 2010. A lot of it due to drought conditions going on in Brazil. So the same coffee that we were selling last year for about a dollar thirty a pound, we're now selling for. 270 a pound. So oh, wow. it's a nice yeah. so we're riding the wave, but it fundamentally it's it's a very strong there's very strong demand market. You know, you could make the argument that it's it's really a drug. I mean, a lot how many people start their day with coffee and couldn't start their day without it. So it's it's not going anywhere. I think, you know, a, a nice place for people to be. And for a lot of our folks, it's a, it's a lifestyle investment as well. They love coffee. They want access to the market. And unless you're going to invest in a public equity in Starbucks, for example, there's really no way to kind of touch the, touch the market directly. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And then what are, you know, what are the, some of the concerns about Colombia? You know, a lot of people think you know, cartels, they think you hear these stories about avocado cartels and uh, obviously other drugs, but um, so what's, I mean, talk about that in terms of, you know, the, the, the safety of, of running a business there and controlling, you know, a certain amount of area and, and all that. Right. Yeah. I mean, my answer to this is always, you know, I wouldn't be here if I didn't like it. So four years here now, to me, it's as safe or safer than it would be in any major city in the U.S. Same deal. There's places you don't go, but then the great areas are are great and where people want to be and where businesses are growing and families are living. And it's it's really the same really kind of the same dynamic. You know, for example, everybody that comes down here either wants to stay or wants to move back or, <laughs> you know, I can't kind of emphasize it enough. And we're continuing to see more and more interest in the country. Safety, you know, has never really been a concern for me, but I'm also kind of smart about how I go about my daily yeah, sure. life and, and what we're, and what we're doing from a business perspective, we try to minimize any kind of issues like this with respect, but by, by getting to scale and kind of becoming important within the country, I think that's major in the, um, in the coffee space, especially where we're doing a lot of business in rural areas and you need really the support of the surrounding communities. You know, where we are, we've become the, the largest employer in, in the region. So, we're insulated by that because so many people mm. kind of depend on what we're doing for, for their livelihood and, and, and where things are going. So I hope that answers the question. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. great. I encourage people to, to come and visit and, and spend, spend some time here. Do you think that's part of the reason of what's held then Columbia back and why there is this arbitrage is because of this fear. And I don't know, maybe there are some things with the government that that's holding it back as well. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, you know, if if it wasn't a concern, we wouldn't have probably we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. If I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, we probably wouldn't be talking about safety issues or reputation or whatever it is. Yep. So, you know, I, I think a lot of the progress and you see it kind of from a business standpoint, talent standpoint, the amount of money coming into the country has really occurred, I would say, over the last 10 to 20 years. You know, the country has moved past kind of the, you know, drug reputation. It really became kind of a tourist destination where people started to come here and live and see these market opportunities. You're also continuing to educate the young population. It's a very heavily dominated young population that's really now kind of coming online in terms of technology and new opportunities. So it's it's in its nascency, but you can see the the signs of of progress and and new markets opening up. I yeah. think looking looking from the outside in, not just from my perspective, but we're seeing a lot more interest in the country from large multinational companies and also people looking to move lots of money. You know, SoftBank just started an eight billion dollar Latin American fund. A lot of that is directed towards Colombia. We're seeing investments come in from Sequoia Capital. We're obviously seeing a lot of investment on the individual kind of accredited investor side. We're seeing more unicorn companies coming out of LATAM than ever before. A lot of those are Colombia-based. So sometimes it takes a couple of examples before other people decide to ride the wave as well. Yep. Yep. 
Awesome. You had mentioned, uh, you know, one of the things you're working on is is all this advanced technology and how you're going to become the most technology yes. technologically advanced in the, in the country, maybe in the industry. Can you, you speak to what what are some of those things that you're doing that that make it you know more advanced? Sure. Big thing in terms of cons- quality with respect to coffee is consistency, largely meaning the size of the coffee beans, the ripeness of the coffee beans, how they're processed so that there's no damage. A lot of that has been done over the years with outdated machinery, manually, how, however you kind of um, could imagine, it's probably probably been done. The buyers that we have, whether it's a Starbucks or Sucafina or Nestle, these, these large clients, you know, they demand a consistent, high-quality product. We're seeing it even more so as the industry as a whole sophisticates. So I like to compare kind of the coffee industry now to maybe what you saw in craft the craft beer industry a couple of years ago. People are drinking higher quality products. People are moving away from kind of like the the Folgers and Maxwell houses of the world and looking for something that I like to say coffees that you don't need to put milk and sugar into to be able to to drink. So as customer preferences shift and as large buyers preferences shift, we have to adapt technologically. Nobody else is really able to keep up with us because of the large capital investment that we're making. And a lot of it is honestly kind of pioneering in the sense that we're adapting technologies from other industries. So the technology we use at the farms to remove the coffee bean from the cherry is actually the technology that has historically been used in the olive industry. So it knocks out the pit, you preserve the outside, the cascada of the cherry, which we are, we're looking to use in various byproducts, potentially a distillation product where we're converting that to grain alcohol or a B2C consumer product. So really trying to use technology to open up new revenue streams. Okay. Yeah, that that's awesome. What are what's the biggest challenge you face in the business and in, in operating this thing? The the biggest one kind of long term will always be managing the weather. You know, whenever you're growing an agricultural product, you always kind of subject to is there too much rain? Is there too much sun? What's kind of the climate change forecast look like? How's that going to affect the product? Those are kind of the things we think about mm-hmm. in terms of kind of high level and, and managing the business into the future. Obviously, we take steps towards mitigating any risks related to that through the implementation of technology, hiring the right people who are specialized in these fields, having the right agronomy team in place, planting specialized coffee trees at at different elevations, all the things we can do to kind of manage that. And then, of course, there's always something new to learn about building businesses in, in a country that, you know, didn't spend my whole life understanding all the dynamics of whether it's doing things at all in Spanish, which we now do a lot of times, understanding kind of the cultural dynamics, how business decisions are reached within organizations, how negotiations are conducted. You know, I could kind of go on and on in terms of lessons learned, but you have to okay. be on the ground and, and experience it to kind of feel it. But we're, 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 we're getting better and better every day. Okay. And what's your role in, in for the coffee specific company? Yeah. So with the coffee company, it's a portfolio company of our investment firm called Legacy Group. I sit as a board of direct member of the board of directors. And then Legacy Group serves as the outside asset manager for Green Coffee Company. So 
easy way to say it is we manage the management so that they can focus on building the business. We handle all of the interaction with investors. I do a lot of the legal work, just given my background, do a lot of the investor communication in terms of raising money for the business, set the high-level strategy, do the hiring, exec comp, really kind of do everything that builds the business. And then we have the operational team on the on the ground here, obviously, that's handling the day-to-day operations, checking the coffee quality, handling sales, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Okay. And then what's the what's the growth plan look like for at least green coffee from you know now until I don't know the next 10 years? What's what's it look like? Yeah. I think the next steps are get to number one in Colombia in terms of actively producing coffee land. I think we'll do that this year. The next would be move the company further down the value chain, meaning we're going from more of a B2B business to a B2C business through roasted coffee operations in the US. So really the idea is if you're not familiar with coffee, go further down the value chain by moving our own product into our roasting facilities in the US. Essentially roasting coffee is cooking the coffee to the kind of flavor profile that you want, selling it more direct to the consumer to increase the profit margins versus selling in bulk on a B2B basis. Those kind of things, plus a whole host of other value adds that we want to the business, we think it gets us to an exit around 2025. Like I said, we started back in 2017. We think we can basically optimize value over the next couple of years where the business is either sellable or a business that we can get to an IPO in the in the US in, in the next few years. I think it'll be important to get our investors some liquidity. And we're doing a nice job of of building value. I think, you know, many multiples on invested capital is, is a realistic expectation for all of our current investors and, and those going forward. Okay. How difficult is it, or do you think it will be to, for that that roasting component to find a roaster to acquire logistically, getting them coffee? I mean, the other side of the whole distribution channel to consumers, is that is that like a like a big problem or is that once you find the right acquisition, it should just work? The the most value and the kind of I guess the hardest thing to build there are the 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 client relationships. So you know we got to move call it ten million pounds of of coffee annually. We need sources to be purchasing that coffee. In terms of the actual roasting process and the infrastructure around it, in many ways it can be very autom- automatized. You know it's it's the technologies there. We can bring it in from Europe or the U.S. A lot of it can be done with a relatively small operation of, of team members. It's going to look small in comparison to managing a 400-employee business here in Colombia to have a three-employee, four-employee operation in the U.S. The biggest thing will be building those sales channels. We're working on it right now to find those, find those customers. Yep. Use a white labeler right now for the coffee that we have so that when we replace the white label with our own with our own operations, we already have those client contracts in place. Okay. That's really the that's really the uh, key to, to growth is having an offload for all that coffee. And what's that mean, the white label? Somebody else's brand is on your coffee? No, we would have somebody roast our, our okay. coffee and, and bag it in our in our bags. Okay. So you partner somebody with that, someone, they they you already sell it, you have the the relationships, you have the sales channel, and then you're then substituting the the roaster side. Exactly. We send them our coffee, they roast and bag it for us, and then we sell it to our clients. The more that we can basically 
control the entire process. The, the, the less intermediary costs that we have, the more value we can realize. Okay. So you said currently that for that one example, you're selling it for about two, 270 a pound? Yeah. How much better does it get once like you're further up that chain? We've been conservative internally with our estimates and said, you know, call it 450 a pound guaranteed when you're when you're moving into that roasted space. Okay. But you know, you go to your local Whole Foods or whatever, you're seeing, you know, some coffees fifteen, twenty dollars a pound. Yeah. Kind of depends how how high you want to go. I was just in in Cleveland a few months ago at a farmer's market and somebody was selling Colombian coffee and it's really just unidentifiable brand mason jar with a scoop in it $16 a pound. So I think there's a lot of room to 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 grow within that call it 450 to $16 yeah, yeah. a pound range. Now right now we're selling on Amazon half pound bags for for $10 a bag. Okay, so that's yeah 20 then, right? Mm-hmm. Um Awesome. Well, that sounds like uh, you know good growth plan and, and very attainable, and you got the got the right team. It sounds like just a matter of putting things into place, huh? I think so. A lot of it, you know, is is now comes down to execution, which we're focused on every day. Yep, that's great. What are some of the other big uh, you know one year goals you have? You mentioned being number one, which should happen through land acquisition. Any 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 other top goals that are going to help move the needle here? You know, I think. Stepping back from just the coffee business specifically and looking at our entire portfolio and, and what we're doing in the country generally is continuing to do more education around Colombia, around what's going on in the market, what the opportunities look like, partnering with some of the people who are bringing large amounts of capital into the country, whether it's a soft bank or some of the more strategic industry-focused People, you know, call it a Starbucks, whomever that might be looking at what are the opportunities in the market? What kind of on the ground knowledge do you guys have there? Continuing to tell the story, meet new people and build those relationships is going to, I think, make the difference for us if we can continue to get the funding that we need, continue to get the growth that we need, get the market credibility that we need by working with those kind of folks and continue to, to grow the business. So that's a huge focus for. 2022. Okay. Do you imagine th- some of those companies being financial partners with you as well? I do. You know, there's interesting trends going on now. Speaking about kind of macroeconomic and what's going on, we're on a call last week with a partner at my ex law firm who now serves as a strategic advisor for us. And we we're talking about basically some of these large public companies, whether it's a Smuckers or ConAgra that basically are opening up their own venture capital arms where they're investing in agriculture businesses, experimental ag tech businesses that might boost their own because there's so much money coming in. There's so much money in the market right now that they're Mm -hmm. looking for different things that they can potentially do with that capital. I think also as people see what we're doing, it's going to be an interesting way to either joint venture or get a direct investment if if it's kind of at the right um at the right valuation but the market trends are moving towards more and more let's call it atypical investors moving into more of the private investment space okay more the institutional size 
you know, the institutions have always been there. The VC funds have always been there. Private equities always been there. But what we're seeing now is, as I mentioned, these public com- public companies mm. that aren't traditionally, you know, looking for venture capital or startup investment opportunities that are now allocating a portion of their investments to these kind of young and, and up and coming companies that they might eventually be able to buy partner with, bring within their own operations. So it's an interesting trend and, and we'll see kind of what that what that looks like. You know, a good example is, you know, you see like what Microsoft is doing by either buying a company like Activision, which they announced a few weeks ago, yep. or making small investments into companies that can basically boost their seemingly end product of kind of the metaverse and the technology that's around it. So we're seeing a lot of more companies do that than we've historically seen just out of kind of tech companies and, and staying in that in that realm. Yep. Cool. Any any books you're reading now on, on the business side that you you're enjoying? Yeah, I mean, if people are kind of interested in the VC space, great one just came out the last week. It's called The Power Law. It is by, does I have it here, Sebastian Malaby, really kind of talking about and a lot of things that we're talking about today, Rise of Silicon Valley and the factors that led to that, particularly relevant to what we're talking about, because a lot of it is, are we seeing the same things going on in the markets that we're in or where else globally that might be interesting opportunities for people? Awesome. So where else can listeners connect, find out more about you and Legacy Group, Green Coffee Company? Yeah. If you guys want to see kind of the portfolio of companies and everything we're doing, go to the website, legacy-group.co. If you want to talk to me directly, fantastic. Adam.j at legacy-group.co. Okay. Great. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story and all about you know the business in Colombia and the coffee. And um, yeah, I think it's been great. Thanks for the chance, Brian. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Adam. You're welcome. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.